This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hey friends, welcome to episode 13 of season four of the Adoptive Mom Podcast. That's episode 62 overall, and I am Alex Fitton, your host. So, okay, you guys, I have covered all of the other major therapy disciplines, but I'll be honest, I wasn't quite sure where physical therapy fit in. My son is in PT, but it still seems like more of an outward issue, not like a trauma issue, with the exception of some physical abuse stuff, of course. So when I talked to my guest today, Christy Harris, a few months ago, I asked her what her thoughts were. She, I knew she was a PT, and I knew she had an amazing adoption story, but I just wanted to make sure that this topic would be applicable for you guys. Um, and Christy was like, girl, let me just tell you how applicable this is. Um, so I was in. I was like, sold. So Christy is a mom of two young boys and a trauma-informed physical therapist who knows a whole lot about PT for, with kids from hard places. Um, And I'm really excited to dive into that. But first, just a reminder, you guys, next week is the final episode of season four, and it's going to be huge. I cannot wait. And I have so much new stuff coming for you guys in season five. And I'm very serious about this. Please hear me. You are going to want to be in the know about it all. I know that sounds like a really dramatic teaser, but I seriously have so much planned. Like, I'm really excited. The best way to stay connected and, like I said, in the know during the break is to join my email team and to join the Facebook community. So the podcast episodes are going to, like I said, take a break, but my weekly emails and the Facebook community posts, they're just going to keep on trucking. So go ahead and go to the adoptivemompodcast.com slash email and sign up there. I'm not going to blow up your inbox. You'll just get an email from me every Monday and be sure to go to Facebook and search for the Adoptive Mom community to connect with all of us there. All right, that's all I have for you guys. Let's jump into my episode with Christy Harris. All right, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom podcast. I am super excited about my guest today. Her name is Christy Harris, and it's weird. I've, I've only met you one time, like in, in real life. But we've been Facebook friends for a while, so I feel like I've kind of kept up with your story. And um, there's a really special reason you're on the show today, too. But we're going to talk all about your adoption story as well. So we just have, like, so much to cover. I feel like you're just this, like, wealth of knowledge, right? Is that how you feel? Um, I'm trying to be. I, <laughs> I have a lot of knowledge in a lot of small areas. <laughs> I'm sure your boys would definitely... knowledge in a lot of wide areas. We'll put it that way. <laughs> your boys would definitely call you a wealth of knowledge, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, yes. They think I know nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So speaking of your boys, why don't you take a second and just introduce us to your family? Give us some names and ages and the rundown. All right. Well, I am Christy. As you said, I'm married to Rodney. We have been married for 21 years. We were high school sweethearts. Um, broke up a lot, but then get back together. So, <laughs> But I still call us high school sweethearts. Um, we were married for 16 years with no kids. And then our boys, Trey and Will, came into our lives. They were three and six at the time and are now nine and 12. And we live in Pocahontas in the northeast corner of the state. Are they that old? Oh, my goodness. They are. Yeah, it snuck up on me. And also, you don't like 21 years? 
Yes. How's yes. that possible? I was a child bride. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Straight out of college. <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, and like you said, those those kids were not biologically yours. That's, that is correct. But they are biological brothers, right? That is correct, yes. Okay. So how did all of that come about? Did you guys try to have bi- biological children first, or um, ha- what? what's your adoption story? Yes. So we tried to have biological children first. Uh, that was not happening. And so we initially decided that we were going to pursue domestic infant adoption and went to some meetings about that and just really felt like that was not God's call in our life. Um, mm. Never felt really any peace towards that. And so we kind of shelved the adoption idea for a while and decided maybe that wasn't the route we were supposed to go. Um, I had a business and uh, Rodney was pursuing a master's degree at the time. And so we decided to just uh, put that on hold for a while. And then we just, it was one of those things we could not get out of our mind that that's what we were supposed to be doing. Mm. And by that time I was a little bit older and so was Rodney. And so we decided that um, we were called to be parents, but we're not necessarily called to be parents of an infant. And so we started looking into adoption through the foster care system and we're very open to adopting outside of our race, outside of, you know, the norms for infants or what have you. Um, We were open to older kids. We were open to sibling groups. Uh, Really, whatever God placed in our family, we were open to pursuing that. Wow. So how long did it, were you an adopt only home or did you foster too? Yes, we were an adopt only home. Um, That's kind of a complicated story because we were an adopt only home. We met the boys, um, were preparing for them to move in, then actually found out that their case was under appeal, which we did not know going into it. So our position changed from being an adopt only home to actually a foster home during that time. We sort of ran a concurrent plan while the appeal was taking, uh, running its course. And then when that ran its course and the uh, TPR had officially happened, then we again began an adopt only home and proceeded towards adoption. And TPR being termination of parental rights for those of you who don't know. So how old were they when you met them? They were three and six. We actually, um, Tomorrow will mark six years since the day we met them. So they were three and six, and they were in a wonderful foster home uh, just outside of Fayetteville. And uh, we met them at the park, and it was pretty much love at first sight. Oh, that's so awesome. But yeah, three and six, that's like, you know, that's just like prime trauma age, I feel like. Yes, yes. Um, And we had done the research and knew that, Adopting a child older than six comes with a set of risks um, as far as, you know, kind of things that they are um, that are already ingrained in them. It's a little harder to make Mm -hmm. a difference after the age of six. And we were open to that, but we did feel like they were sort of in a in a great spot. And as I said, they were in a wonderful foster home and were really ready for adoption. They were ready for that transition into our home. Yeah. So, and which is so awesome because that does not always happen. Right. Um, and there's so many things, you know, I, the, the bulk of what I want to get into, um, in our chat is where your profession and your passion meet, which is physical therapy. 
But yes. I have like, like I said at the beginning, you're kind of a wealth of knowledge. So I have like a lot of <laughs> questions about. So your boys are not within your race, right? So tell me about Correct. that. How has that been for you guys becoming a cohesive family for your eyes being open to, you know, racial issues and um, stuff like that? Oh, gosh, my. We thought that we were really open people prior to the boys coming into our lives. And, you know, you think you know um, what life looks like from someone else per- else's perspective. And then when someone from another race comes into your family, it's a completely different eye-opening experience mm-hmm. to realize how people are, you know, view them from the outside world, how they view us as a transracial family. Um, you know, the, the looks we get, the people that stop us, um, we get asked about our adoption story a lot because it becomes pretty obvious when we're all four together that they are not biologically our children. Um, but it's just, we see it as an opportunity to share our story and to share the beauty of adoption Mm -hmm. because we don't look just like everyone else in our town. Yeah. Well, and, and I feel it, I feel the same way. I feel like, um, it's funny because, I mean, we we were open to adopting any anyone, but we got two white boys, which I always think is really funny. Um, I'm so grateful for them. But we, I was like, really? There's a lot of people who don't want people kids from uh-huh. other races. And anyway, but so we don't get that opportunity as much. But when people make little comments, I'm always a lot more willing to, to share our adoption story or to mention that we have adopted kids than some other people I know where they just don't talk about it. And right. so I love that you're open to that, that you're like, no, let's talk about adoption. And I think that that's really beautiful. Um, and it helps your kids to be able to see like, yeah, our family's different, but that's okay. We celebrate that. It's not something we just don't talk about. Right. And that's, we're very open to the fact that we, you don't look like mom and dad, but you both have brown eyes and I have brown eyes. You may have, have brown skin and I have white skin. Those are just cosmetic differences that on the inside, we all look the same. We're all God's children. It doesn't matter what color he made us on the outside. And um, we really just try to celebrate that as much as possible. Mm, that's so awesome. So the, and the next thing I wanted to ask you about is, so how, how old were you when you got your boys into your home? I was 38. Okay. So like, that's not that old in the grand scheme of things, obviously. But I think that a lot of people, especially, you know, if they've tried to have kids for a long time, they get to this place where they feel like they're just too old at this point. And so how was it getting really young children when you were like, not in your 20s? (laughs) And not like, up for running around and you were all of a sudden having to do that. So that's a very good question. Um, the biggest thing for me was that a lot of my peers had kids in a different stage of life. Mm-hmm. And that um, was a detriment in some ways because um, they weren't the ones out at the baseball field and that kind of thing. But I also have peers with so much wisdom when it comes to parenting. Their kids are a stage ahead of my kids. So when I was going through potty training, I had peers that could I could call and they could say, okay, I've done this. Your kid's not going to go to kindergarten in a diaper. It's okay. Just keep at it. You know, <laughs> those kind of things. Um, so it really helped to have people that were my own age, but that their kids were ahead of mine because they could give me that knowledge. And it, you're right. I did not have the energy of the little 25-year-old moms out there. Um, when I go to my kids' class parties, especially my younger son, I am the oldest mom in the room. Um, I don't 
think I've been called grandma yet by any of the kids, but it's really probably not that far away. <laughs> you do not look like a grandma. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the same age as some of uh, my son's classmates' grandparents because they had kids very, very young. <laughs> <laughs> so that's okay. We just embrace it. We go with it. But you know what? I, I guarantee you're at the age, though, where you don't give any craps about having the like Pinterest perfect anything no, 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 for the no, class no. parties because I'm already dreading that. I'm like, how on earth am I going to take my like, I do not care about cutting your snacks into the shapes of, you know, ocean creatures? Like, that is me, but all these other, I was, I'm dreading it. I'm dreading it. Well, I, the first two birthday parties the boys had, um, you know, I'd been waiting for a long time to throw birthday parties. And so I was as Pinterest as could be about those <laughs> birthday parties. And right after that, I turned 40. And it is very true what they say about turning 40. You lose a lot of your care. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And it became, I really am just too tired for this. And so we're going to celebrate with family. We're going to have a good time. But you're not going to have Ninja Turtle cupcakes made out of fruit roll-ups. It's not going to happen anymore. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. (laughs) And you know what? Your boys are happy and healthy. So, you know. They're just fine. Yeah. They like it. Okay, so uh, and one more thing I wanted to ask you. So in addition to being a transracial family, you're also um, one of your kids has not like some not cognitive special needs, right? But he has like some paralyzed issues. What's that like? My son is uh, completely deaf in one ear and also is missing his facial nerve on that ear or on that, excuse me, on that same side. So he is... uh, does have, like I said, facial paralysis on the right. He's also completely deaf on the right. He has a bone conduction hearing aid on that side. And uh, that was something we knew about him ahead of time. And we had our concerns, but were those were put aside pretty quickly once we met him. Um, he also has some learning difficulties. He, uh, he was almost five when he came into foster care and they did not realize that he had the hearing deficit. Mm. He had not had any early intervention services. Um, he has ADHD and that had never been dealt with. And so learning has been very difficult for him, but we don't have biological children. So this is just normal for us. Right. You know, we could have had biological children and they could have had these same issues. We don't look at it as we adopted a child with special needs. We look at it as we adopted a child and, oh, yeah, he just happens to have some extra needs. Yeah. Well, and I love that because, I mean, what a what a fighter mentality that you guys have been able to give him because you're like, this is just our normal. You know, you just rise above that. This is just what we do instead of, you know, him having to look at siblings and say I'm different than them or whatever else, um, which would have been fine, too. But it's just great that that's his story and that you guys have just embraced every aspect of your adoption story. And, uh, you know, like I said, I joked at the beginning that you just you have all these different experiences and I'm glad we got to touch on each one. But. Um, so I talked to you the other day and I've gotten so much feedback from listeners just saying, you know, I've covered OT, I've talked about, uh, speech therapy and all these other things, but I have not covered physical therapy yet. And I think that it was because I was, I I was struggling to be able to figure out how, um, 
how physical therapy really related in the the trauma lens or how it could be seen in the trauma lens. And I loved that you were like, well, let me tell you. And so um, I've done therapy for a while now. And I have some thoughts on some things. Yeah, well, let's let's get into those thoughts on some things. So tell us about your job and what you do specifically. Okay, well, I'm a physical therapist. I have been practicing for 19 years now. I have practiced in a variety of settings. Currently, I am doing home health and outpatient, so primarily adults now, but spent the majority of my career doing pediatrics, um, primarily in preschools for kids with developmental disabilities. And um, through that, was able to see a lot of different uh, stories that kids had kids that had come from hard places and kids that just had come from difficult situations. Yeah. And, and that's gotta be, that's gotta be hard to see, to be exposed to that level of trauma or just hard things over and over and over again. But I imagine that you started to see this common thread or the, the, these um, similarities between their stories and how it related to their physical bodies. So what, you know, I think that when we think physical therapy, we think pretty broad, you know, we're thinking like sports therapy, or, you know, you you break something and you need to rehab it or whatever else. But what does that what does that look like specifically in pediatrics? In pediatrics, typically, we are dealing with um, kids who are just not developing at the rate of their peers. So whether that be because they were born prematurely, they were born with um, some other type of deficit, such as cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, something like that, um, something that has prevented them from, again, developing at the same rate as their peers. Those are the kids we are typically seeing in the pediatric population. Um, they could just be the kids that are just uh, what someone might, from the outside might look at and say they're just a little clumsy, um, all the way to a child that has severe spastic quadriplegic CP. Those are the kids that we see. Wow. that's a that, And that's a really large spectrum. Um, yes, it is. Yeah. And I imagine to be, you know, I feel like when you do physical therapy training, obviously you have to have a broad, broad spectrum training, you know, of just the, 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 uh, the focus as a whole, but you know, then your, your specialty, you're looking at, like I said, you know, sports medicine or, or something like mm-hmm. that. But with pediatrics, it right. seems like you really just have to be prepared for anything. Um, what were you going to say? Yes. Oh yeah. I, I did my very first, uh, rotation at Arkansas Children's Hospital. And that was when I realized that pediatrics were really a calling for me because you did get to use a lot of different areas of your expertise. Uh, You might be seeing a patient with an orthopedic injury one day. The next day, you might be seeing a patient with neurological injury, such as a traumatic brain injury or someone with a birth deficit, such as uh, cerebral palsy, something like that. And so you really that's why I loved it so much was because you got to use so many different areas that I was trained in. Yeah. And it's so cool. I'm, I'm really fascinated. You know, my, my son is in, um, is in physical therapy and he's in it just as much as occupational therapy. They always back, always back to back. And I love the relationship between the occupational and the physical therapy, because I feel like even though it's, we're looking at, you know, minor functions and, uh, Macro functions. I feel like I'm really botching this, this terminology. So it's correct right. me Bi-motor if I'm wrong. motor and gross motor. Thank you, thank you. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at two different things, but the way that they mesh is really fascinating to me. And that's yes. something that before I had kids from hard places, I didn't even realize that that was 
I don't know. I, I think my eyes were really open to these issues. And Rock specifically, he was, you know, he was born with drugs in his system and he has like zero core strength. And then on top of that, now he has Marfan syndrome. So I feel like he's just going to, you know, he just needs to settle in and get comfortable in therapy. He's going to be there. Um, he's going to be there for a while. Right, right, right. So, I mean, narrowing this down to specifically trauma, you know, there's a, when we say trauma, there's so many different things that we can mean. We can mean drug exposure. We can also mean physical abuse. Uh, we can mean a, a car accident. I mean, there's lots of different things that we can we can be talking about. But if we're talking about kids from hard places, what are what? Obviously, this is a really broad question. But what are some of the think, things that you specifically see in the physical therapy world in kids from hard places? What's the common thread there? Well, I think there are sort of two areas that you run into. And one was pretty obvious to me as a PT. The other I did not realize until I also became a parent of a kid from hard places. The first would be just the typical gross motor issues that come when a child was not given the opportunity to develop what we would call normally, typically. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like they were neglected. So maybe uh, the child was just kind of placed off to the side in a high chair or a bouncy seat or whatever and not allowed to be on the floor and move typically like other kids are. Um, And so there is a set of deficits that come from that. Things like decreased core strength, things like poor bilateral coordination. Those all come from that neglect piece. Then on the other side, we have the areas that you've talked about before, which are the behavioral things that come as a result of trauma, as a result of stress hormones that never get regulated within the body, things like that. And those are the things that I didn't realize how much they affected a child developmentally until I became a parent of a kid like that myself. And then I really began to see that um, if a child can't regulate their body, then they can't be expected to perform normally in a gross motor setting. Um, So that's why you mentioned your child having both OT and PT. I love pediatrics um, in that we work so closely with the other disciplines Mm -hmm. because I loved working after the OT because they were able to get the child into a well-modulated state so that when I worked with them for PT, we were able to accomplish so much more because they were so aware of their body. Mm -hmm. They were calm. Their stress hormones were levelized a little bit so that I was working with a completely different child than if I walked into a classroom and that child was in a hyper-stressed state and then trying to get them to come to PT and calm down to do the activities I needed was a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Well, and oh goodness, there's I like I'm trying to even decide which way to go because I just like there's so right. many things that we can talk about. Um, so I'm glad that you mentioned that OT thing because I feel like sensory issues are something that like every single adoptive mom on the planet is familiar with. And if yes. you're not, it's there. I promise you just don't if know it's it yet. There, you just know it. <laughs> right. And so I mean, I I, I think that. Obviously, there's way more than just my experience. But with my experience, you know, I have Rock who has, he's a sensory seeker. He can't like feel things very well. Mm -hmm. And so that's really not great for someone with Marfan because I'm like, what if he gets a concussion and he just can't even tell? Um, And so when you're when you're working with someone, especially after OT, I imagine them being able to regulate their those kids and like, let's hop on the swing first before you go do some stretching or something like that. That would be really great for you. Um, So what are what are some of the things uh, talking about, you know, if, if they're not coming to you regulated, if they're if they're not 
wanting to feel or be, you know, stretch Mm -hmm. or whatever the exercises that you're working on with each kid, you know, how do you handle that? Uh, Especially being a physical therapist with um, eyes that are open to trauma, because I know that not all of not all of you are. um, But what are some of the ways that you handle those things, having your eyes open to these, uh, these kids in our places? A lot of the things that I would do to get a child prepared are the same things that the occupational therapist would do. Clearly, that's not my area of training, but through working with really good OTs over the years, I you develop a few tricks in your tool bag to get a child to calm down a little bit. Um, and even though they you may not they may not come in looking stressed, um, you can still. Um, you know, start them out on the swing, start them out with deep pressure, that kind of thing to just uh, prepare them and more than anything to develop a relationship with them. You know, if it's a child that needs to be stretched and you immediately jump in and start stretching that child, they're going to push back and they're not going to be as relaxed with you because you don't have that rapport built. Whereas if you started with the swing and you're blowing bubbles and you're developing a relationship first, then those other things come a lot easier. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. So let's let's look at some of these just broader categories. And um, if I'm missing something, you you just let me know. But let's let's talk about like babies that are born addicted. So what are some of the physical therapy things that you're going to see in in those kids as they grow older? Um, It really, uh, of course, every child is different. Right. Um, The those children tend to require a little bit more uh, to calm it down, to come into a state where, you know, to maintain single leg balance, for instance, is something that requires not only core strength, but also just um, a lot of focus. There are, there are several different components to balance. And so you have to put all of those things together in order to be able to stand on one foot. Well, why do you need to be able to stand on one foot to be able to go up and down a curb, to be able to stand on one leg to put on your pants? You know, mm-hmm. those are all things that are very functional that you have to be able to stand on one foot for. Well, if a child is not, first of all, aware of their body, they don't know where their body is in space, then they're not going to be able to accomplish that task. Right. If they have poor core strength, then they're not going to be able to accomplish that task. If they're unable to focus on a point um, because their vision is constantly darting around, um, then they're going to have a hard time with that task because vision is a one third of balance. Huh. Okay. This is like so, fascinating uh, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so balance is uh, made up of your proprioceptive system, your vision, and your inner ear. So if you take the vision away or if the vision's constantly darting around, then the balance is going to be worse. And you don't think about that, you know, you don't think about how much you use that skill of being able to stand on one leg. But I'm like, as you're talking, I'm having flashes of like, tonight, when (laughs) I told Brock to take his pants off, and he like, couldn't do it. And I'm like, I mean, I falls over because while he's trying to take his pants off. Right. And I mean, that's something that like, I could have on a recorders, pay attention to what your body is doing, pay attention to what your body Uh is doing, because he's just like looking around and, um, and it's so frustrating. But when you're thinking about that, it's just crazy. All right, guys, sorry to interrupt, but I'm so excited to keep talking about my sponsor for this episode. So little box of decorations, 
helped me out so much with my daughter's party. She is like girly girl to the max and she had to have a mermaid slash unicorn party. Their mission is like planning and decorating small events can be stressful, tiring, and time consuming. Little Box of Decorations is here to save your party day. LBD provides all-in-one kits that include everything you need for your party, including table settings, decorations, and invitations, all delivered to your doorstep. There are curated kits available, or like me, they can work with you to design any custom party. No more running around town or stressing out about coordinating details or hoping your colors match or any of that. So you want to check out their website at littleboxofdecorations.co or follow them on Instagram at lbdecorations for all of your party needs. LBD is all of the party and none of the hassle. They are great and easy to work with and they won't even make fun of you when you come at them with a crazy idea like mermaid unicorn party. So neurologically, what's going on there? How how are you seeing that similarity? And obviously, like you said, every kid is different. Every kid is going to present differently. But you know, when you have a kid with fetal alcohol syndrome or born addicted to really any type of drug, what what is the commonality there? What are you? What's happening in their brains that's causing them to struggle with these things specifically on average? I think the the commonality is just that it's a regulating issue that the areas of their brain that are supposed to communicate with each other in order to accomplish those tasks just aren't communicating effectively. Mm. And so it's the challenge of the therapist to figure out, we can't treat the underlying cause of that, but what symptoms of it can we treat? How is it affecting core strength? How is it affecting bilateral coordination? How is it affecting proprioception? And what can we do to influence those symptoms that will allow us to accomplish our goal? Because we can't, I mean, yes, you can rewire the brain to some extent through therapy, but you can't go back and erase what happened in a child's past. But if you can treat the symptoms effectively and, um, work with those OTs that are trained in primitive reflex integration and those kinds of things. Um, you know, they can deal more with the core issues. And if I can just treat the symptoms that as I see them, then hopefully we can accomplish what's best for the child. Absolutely. Well, and, I, and I'm imagining that as a trauma-informed therapist that you you are able to help with that underlying cause sometimes. I mean, obviously, you can't prevent it from happening because it's already happened. But, you know, I'm imagining that if you get a mama in there who has no idea what's going on with her kid, no idea right. why her kid is freaking out or can't do normal tasks like take their jammies off, that <laughs> um, uh-huh. you're able to, to, to kind of shepherd her through that, which is really cool. Yes. And I worked in a facility um, where... I worked with in a preschool for kids with disabilities. And so we were also able to go into the classrooms and, you know, you would hire classroom staff that wanted what was best for the kid, but they didn't really understand the effects of trauma on the child. So they didn't understand why the kid needed to have a special seat to sit in or needed to have a sensory fidget or things like that. And so when we could educate the classroom staff on that and they could see that uh, this wasn't just a misbehaving child, but there were underlying issues, then the child just didn't get therapy while they were in the therapy room. They got that 
kind of intervention all day long. And so you hope to be able to teach parents the same thing, that these are just symptoms. What can we do do to treat the symptoms so that you and your child can have a better relationship at home? So that your child can sit at a table and eat a meal with the rest of the family. What can we do to help those things? Mm, I love that. I love that so much. I think that that's really cool that your job allows you to do that and, and that that can be like a ministry to you. Um, yes. So let's talk about something on the other end of the spectrum. You know, we talked about uh, addiction and, and how that and we know that trauma can rewire the brain. So that's one type. But what about something as bad as like physical or sexual abuse? What are some of the things that you see there? Again, it it sort of manifests itself differently in every child. Um, and I wish I was more informed about those things. My kids uh, receive occupational therapy from a fantastic therapy group here in town. And they are trained in MNRI and uh, the primitive reflex integration. And they could uh, speak much more of that. But... Um, those kids just tend to respond a little differently to touch. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, physical therapy requires a lot of um, close touching, especially if I am, you know, if it's a child that needs to be stretched for whatever reason, or if it's a child where I am, uh, you know, tapping at the abdomen for core strength or that kind of thing. Um, So again, developing that rapport, with that child is sometimes a lot harder if that child has been through uh, extreme physical or sexual abuse. And so that's why it is so important for the parent, if they have that information, to let the therapist know. You know, a lot of times a parent will think that it's not important that a therapist knows my child's full history. That's my kid's story, and I'm not going to share it because it's personal and private. And that may be very true. But the more history that you can give your therapist, especially in those situations where your child might be aversive to touch, the better that's going to be for the therapist because they're going to know how to handle your child more carefully. With my own kids' trauma, um, you know, it was very important that the the therapists know that certain things were going to be a trigger for them. Mm-hmm. That I had learned that certain, you know, certain things might trigger traumatic events for my kids and they might not respond quite as well. And so the therapist knew to avoid those things or to make sure that they had established appropriate rapport before attempting those things. Yeah. Well, and those are, those are great things to to think about as you're trying to piece together, um, I don't know, kind of the mystery that is your child. And I know that's a weird, weird way to put it. But as adoptive parents, I, I mean, you and I have talked about this before that I almost feel like we're kind of detectives. We're having to piece together what we yes. don't know and figure out how to best, you know, create a treatment plan. And we're having to be our kids advocates where, um, you know, to no fault of its own, probably, but you know, the system has failed them in, um, and as a, you know, that was something, like I said, that's something we talked about that as a physical therapist, yes. that's something that you have to do a lot too. So how, what are some of the ways that, you know, you, you see what's going on? How important is it for you to figure out what the underlying causes in order to understand how to help? Again, you're treating the symptoms and let you know what possibly the core cause is. So if I can find the core cause quicker, Um, then it allows me to more quickly move on to treating them the way I need to be treating. So the sooner I can figure out, um, again, you know, 
I, I keep going back to the bilateral coordination thing because that was something I learned early on in my career. Um, if I learned pretty quickly that a child never crawled before they walked, or if I learned that a child was kind of um, placed off to the side and not really given a lot of exposure, that kind of thing, then I can start looking at the bilateral coordination. I can start doing different tasks to encourage those skills that it might take me a while otherwise to figure that out. Mm. Um, if I, one of the, the things that I notice in my own child is that he tends to walk with his feet turned in, which is a common symptom of a child that sleeps with their legs tucked underneath them and their bottom up in the air. And so, you know, if I can learn that about a kid when they are still sleeping that way, then, and the parent can fix that at that age, then the child doesn't get to be nine years old and is quote unquote pigeon toed. <laughs> you know, the earlier you figure those things out, what's causing those things, then the earlier you can break those habits. Yeah. That's awesome. Like that's, but it's really <laughs> cool that you get to, that there are so many things that you're looking at and so many causes that could be there um, and being able to, to figure those things out and help adoptive parents to help their kids, you know, and, and, that's what we're doing. That's what we're all in this for. And I love that you get to do both kind of like <laughs> you yes. help people at work and then you go home and help people more. <laughs> yes. yes. Well, I try my, my own children would say I'm not very effective at the latter, but <laughs> uh, I think that that's universal. Um, yes. Okay. So let's get real practical here. What are some of the things okay. that we as parents need to be looking for if we need to like find a note, find a PT? Um, I think look at your child in comparison to their peers, um, their quote-unquote typically developing peers. Does your child have a hard time keeping up on the playground? Does your child prefer to sit on the side of the playground rather than er interacting with their friends? Or do you have the kid that is climbing to the very top of the uh, jungle gym and trying to jump off? Both of those things might need to be addressed by therapy. Um, especially the sitting thing. I think a lot of parents, especially when they're new to their child, think that maybe they've just got a lazy kid or think that maybe their child's just not motivated to move when actually it might be that it's just hard for that kid to move. It may take a lot of effort because their strength is not the same. Mm. Um, Look at things like um, for a child that's older, are they having a hard time with um, handwriting? Are they having a hard time feeding themselves? Yes, those might be things that you think about for occupational therapy, but those could also be signs of other uh, issues such as coordination issues and things like that that physical therapy might address. Um, for any child or any parent who has a child who is new in their home, I think getting them a comprehensive evaluation um, just to see if they might have some needs that you are not yet aware of. Um, you know, your job, especially when a child first comes into your home, your job is to be the parent. Your job is not to be the detective that has to figure out, is this a gross motor delay my child has? Does my child have a fine motor delay? Get your kid to an expert. It doesn't hurt anything to have an expert look at them, test them, and say, hey, there's no needs in this area, or yeah, there might be some things that we need to look at in this area. Um, 
So that allows you to be the parent and to do the bonding with the child and let the experts deal with those other kinds of issues so that that becomes one thing that you can take off your plate. Um, I think any adoptive parent will tell you that the stronger team that you have put together, the better off you are. So get in as many people as you can onto your team so that your child has every advantage possible. Girl, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was just about to say, you know, that's part of building this their, your team for your kid. And I've heard people, I, I had someone on the podcast early on that said that she had each of her adopted kids had a team of seven people. So like therapists, parents, and, and that was like what they needed to, to overcome some of these issues. And I think that a lot of times we just want to ignore it. We just want to say, you know, this, this didn't exist 20 years ago, they'll be fine, or, you know, whatever. And, and that's, that's doing such a disservice to our kids. And I love, 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 you know, we've talked about this before, but that, that, all the therapists, especially in pediatric clinics, can work so closely together and can, and, and, you know, especially when you have them back to back, the therapist before you can say, hey, we really struggled with this day. And you can be like, well, we'll just pick it right back up then and, you know, keep working on it. And I, I just think that's so cool. And I love that that is such a team idea, such a team attitude towards surrounding this kid and giving them the best, the best chance at life possible. Um, yeah, I just I love that. And I think you guys do really cool stuff. And I'm really I'm really glad that we got to chat. And I wanted to ask you one more thing. So, you know, obviously, you are a trauma informed therapist. And as adoptive moms, you know, we quickly learned that not everyone is trauma informed, and that the people who are not can feel like a danger there meaning no harm. But um, how do you what are some of the things that we can look for in in a physical therapist that's going to understand our kid and and get it? You know, I think that a uh, a therapist can be a relatively new graduate and get it. Um, I think a therapist can be have as much experience or more as I have and not get it. I don't think necessarily that it comes with age. I think you just you should ask questions about what settings have you worked in, um, what types of uh, kids have you worked with, and are you aware of the effects of trauma on a child? Um, you know, people that have only worked in a limited amount of settings or with one certain type of child, maybe they don't get it as well as someone who's got a little bit broader uh, knowledge. Mm. You know, someone, again, like I said, who'd worked with kids that came from hard places, um, You know, you get it a little bit more. You start, even if you haven't been, quote unquote, trained and trauma informed, you have seen kids that come from different backgrounds enough to know that not every kid's going to respond the same way. Um, You know, if you've worked with kids from different economic levels, then you've seen different types of kids. Um, Whereas if you've only worked with kids from one type of economic background, then that might, your uh, knowledge base might not be as broad. Yeah. Oh, great stuff, man. Like you, I just, I feel, I feel way smarter after this conversation, which is always good. That's a mark of a good interview is when I feel smarter walking away from it. Um, but are you cool with us moving into some of these closing questions? Go for it. Awesome. Okay. So what do you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey? Oh, it is more worth it than you can imagine and harder than you could ever think possible. All at the same time. Those are wise words, man. 
That's so true. Like, so true. Um, okay. What do you wish you had done differently? Um, I think coming from my background, I thought I had it figured out. Um, I wish someone had looked at me and said, you're not as smart as you think you are. Um, and you need to rely on other people. Mm. And that's so true. Like, I feel, I think that as adoptive moms, we, we go into this with our little, you know, neurotypical minds and we're like, other moms can do this. So can we, and we don't, we don't realize that we're facing like different things. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I love that. Um, okay. So what's your favorite way that your tribe supported you during your journey? Um, I have a tribe of prayer warriors that uh, lift me up constantly and are always a group text away from praying for me. And without those people in my life, I would not have made it to this point. Um, And that goes to people that knew me long before the boys came into my life to people that I have met in just the last few years that don't have kids that come from hard places, but understand that I do and are always ready to uh, pray immediately. Mm. I love that, though. Like, I think that, you know, we overlook prayer so often. And that's such a that I don't know, that's such a shame. I think that as I've, as I'm growing older, I'm learning the power of prayer. And I think that, um, especially when you're in that survival mode, as moms, we feel like it's inefficient, or, you know, we don't see immediate results or whatever else. So I love just I love reminders that that is the most important thing you can do. Um, When we are in the mode of survival, like you said, we often don't have the ability within ourselves to stop and pray at that moment, or we think it's the least effective thing that we can do. Actually, it's the most effective thing we can do. But if we've got people in our lives that we can say, I'm at my wit's end, I can't pray right now, but I need you to pray for me, then we are lifted up at that moment um, and we can go about doing what we need to do. I love that. I love it. I just like wrote it down as a quote. (laughs) Um, Okay. So the flip side of that, what is a way that you felt hurt or misunderstood by the people close to you? I don't think that um, some of the people in our lives were ready to um, understand trauma and its effect on kids. Mm -hmm. And so I think they didn't really understand why we parented in the way that we did initially. Um, as they've gotten closer to the boys and understood a little bit more and become a little more trauma informed themselves, that's changed. But I think initially it was, um, they expected my kids to act in a certain way. And when those kids didn't, they didn't understand why we parented in a certain way. Um, but again, it's, it's improved over the years. I just wish that maybe they had become a little more informed earlier. Yeah. Well, and that's such a common thread among adoptive families. So I'm thank you for putting a voice to that for sure, because that's something so many people experience. Um, And lastly, just if you could sum it all up, what's your biggest piece of advice or encouragement to adoptive families? Um, And and you can even make it specialized to physical therapy or just dealing with their bodies and neurological effects of uh, their trauma. Um, I again, I think my biggest piece of advice is to surround yourself 
with people who love you and who love your kids and who want what is best for your family. And um, they may not always know exactly what to do, but it's just being there to provide, again, that prayer, the helping hand, um, saying, I don't know what you're going through, but if you need me, I am here. Please reach out. Mm. Good stuff. No, seriously. Thank you. Like that's, I just, I think that those are such wise words and, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really grateful because I feel like I've said it so many times in this conversation, but you just have so, uh, I, I don't know, so much wisdom in so many different areas surrounding adoption and dealing with these kids from hard places and giving them the best shot at life. And I'm just, I'm really grateful for you sharing your wisdom on this episode. So thank you so much, Miss Christy Harris. And where can we Thanks find you and see, me. you know, cute pictures of your kids? <laughs> um, I am on Instagram. It's Christy underscore L underscore Harris. And on Twitter, it's Chris PT, K-R-I-S-P-T. So those are probably the two best places to find me most of the time. Yeah. And you're in my, you're in the adoptive mom community on Facebook, right? Yes. I'm in the adoptive mom community on Facebook also. Yes. Cool. So if you're listening and you're not in that community, that's the best place to ask questions of guests who are in there. And almost all of them are in there. And I know, um, I know Christy, you're cool with people asking you PT questions or just adoptive mama questions too, right? That's right. All the things. <laughs> awesome. And she's really funny too. So. Or whatever. So. <laughs> she's Sarcasm. All- <laughs> I was about to say, you're always good for like a, a good quippy remark. And- a little bit of pithy remarks. Yes. <laughs> I love it. All right. Thanks, girl. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom podcast.com. Thanks for joining us.